Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us today. Business groups in Michigan have said for years that they want our politics to be more civil. It is a ubiquitous theme at business conferences throughout the year, and it was former Governor Rick Snyder's rallying cry during the eight years he was in office championing a pro-business agenda. But things are about as uncivil as they have ever been right now in Michigan politics. Last week, the top Republican in state government was caught on tape calling the Capitol insurrection on January 6th a hoax and making sexist and violent comments about Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And yet the same business groups that claim to champion civility have not said they'd stop financially backing Shirky or other Republicans, and we haven't seen them come out and say that they will do anything else to try to distance themselves from Shirky or from the Republican Party if it doesn't meet out some consequence for Shirky's misbehavior. In Crane's Detroit Business, senior editor Chad Livengood writes that if those groups, those business groups, want to see more civility in politics, they ought to show Shirky the door. Chad Livengood joins me now to talk about that piece. Chad, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. So uh, let's remind listeners what Shirky said and what he has done in recent days and weeks that led to some Democrats calling for him to resign or at least lose his leadership position in the Senate. Yeah, so so last week a, a tape emerged of a recording of him speaking uh, in a private meeting with a group of Hillsdale County Republican officials, he met him in a diner in Jonesville on February 3rd, where he uh, met them because they were planning to censure him the next day. And he wanted to hear them out and, and negotiate with them in some ways. That's a very bizarre uh, thing. Uh, any um, uh, astute politician probably would have avoided such a meeting. But they, this uh, one of the men in the meeting um Put, put his phone in his shirt pocket and recorded the whole meeting with the camera focused on Shirky. Uh, and Shirky um, really let his guard down, uh, to say the least. He talked about how he uh, has pondered uh, challenging Governor Whitmer to a fist fight uh, on the uh, Capitol lawn. Uh, then he said that uh, the, he and the fellow Senate Republicans uh, spanked her hard uh, on the budget and on her appointments, uh, where they recently denied uh, a whole host of appointments uh, for various uh, state commissions, boards, even uh, even the director of the Children Ombudsman Office that investigates the death of children in um, uh, in state custody. Uh, and, and then he's just kind of continued to use a lot of misogynistic uh, and xenophobic language lately. He was on a program in a, in a, in a show um, uh, in Jackson County on J- JTV where he he talked he talked about the, getting the coronavirus and he described it as the Chinese flu uh, and that the, the, that the flu army sent one of its best warriors to and he pinned and wrestled this warrior um, uh, it, just a, a whole host of things and then and then of course yeah he's also caught on tape talking about um, that the uh, that the, uh, the the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January sixth was quote not Trump's people uh, and, and 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 continue to kind of uh, uh, try to to you know fan a conspiracy theory that this was some kind of uh, 
you know, uh, uh, gathering of the of the Gross Point Antifa. So, so in your piece, you say that it's Michigan's business leaders who ought to be most outraged about what Shirky's doing and ought to be taking steps to try to to either change his behavior or move him out of the way. Uh, talk about why you focus on the business community here. Well, just like you, Stephen, I've been to a few Mackinac policy conferences and Detroit policy conferences and, and business leaders for uh, Michigan summits and just every uh, you know business conference under the sun in the last decade. There's been some focus on on improving civility in politics, and I just can't see how we can have civility in politics when. Um, when the top legislative leader, the senior leader of the legislature, um, is talking about uh, punching a woman uh, in the face, um, uh, that woman being the governor of Michigan, and how could the governor of Michigan uh, um, possibly carry on any kind of working relationship with this individual um, who has not called, uh, that I'm aware of, not called to apologize uh, to her. Of course, he also issued an apology um, the night that this video uh, um, uh, came out, and then the next day he walked up on the rostrum of the of the state senate uh, to to talk to Lieutenant Governor uh, Garland Gilchrist, president of the Senate, and was caught on microphone talking about how he doesn't apologize for what he said; he just apologizes for how he said it, mm. uh, and which is sort of uh, I wish I hadn't gotten caught uh, defense basically. Um, and so I, I just don't see how uh, we can possibly get any kind of meaningful public policy achieved in this state over the next two years um, uh, of Mike Shirky's tenure in the, as, as Senate Majority Leader and uh, as the, the, the final two years of, of Governor Whitmer's term here uh, with, these, with this type of, of rhetoric uh, that is coming wholly from him. Plus, he, he met with a militia group uh, last fall, uh, a month before the revelation of, of, the, of the plot to, uh, uh, by, by people in, uh, affiliated with militias who plotted to kidnap and probably kill Governor Whitmer, uh, all of this just does not, uh, you know, ring any kind of uh, tone of, of civility to me. So so it's interesting to me, the, the idea of the business community here. So what, what Shirky's doing, first of all, is damaging to, to their interests, right? These are people who go around and sell Michigan all over the country to people to come invest, to come move their businesses here, uh, to do business with us. As long as you've got someone like Mike Shirky saying and doing the things that he's doing, uh, especially in the climate that we exist right now, he's doing he's doing harm to those efforts. So the business community has some self-interest in this that you would think would motivate them to at least be saying something about what he's doing. But but there is again this question of uh, of of the, the the civility that they have been pushing for so long. And I'll I'll say up front that, you know, I am somebody who also believes very deeply that we have got to be able to have civil disagreements in this uh, in this state and uh, we've got to be able to talk across partisan lines about the things that divide us and be honest about our, our different approaches to those things and come to solutions that work uh, at least enough for for both sides but that doesn't work if one side doesn't 
doesn't call out its own interests when there is incivility. There's no such thing as civility without accountability. And one of the hardest things to do, quite frankly, is call out your own side when they're being uncivil and, and say, look, we can't have that. You got you to gotta avoid that kind of uh, rhetoric. And, and I think it, we are, what we're seeing here is an extreme version of that in the Republican Party and, as you point out, in the business community uh, that invests a lot let's be frank, in that Republican Party. I mean, they are they are very close allies in this state. Yeah, uh, and and it just uh, also one thing I noted, last week the New York Times had this big story about how uh, the uh, the energy that came with the mob uh, to Washington on January 6th, some of that is rooted in Michigan and in the protests that we saw last spring, uh, the Liberate Michigan uh, tweet from, from President Trump. Uh, and Mike Shirky himself has sort of helped foment a lot of that. And he was prominently featured in this article, basically being empathetic to the cause uh, that these uh, that these folks uh, um, had with their um uh, with, with why they went to marched on the Capitol and, and you know trashed the place, and so then he turns around and we see him in public, or we see him see him see privately saying the whole thing was a hoax. Um, this this type of thing does actually matter. It does get noticed nationally, and I I just think that if you're going to try to be a state that looks like you know, you're you're uh, inclusive and that you are cutting edge, uh, but then you have this. Uh, this this really dysfunctional politics. Um, uh, when businesses are scouting out states, they they, they look for this. They do they want to know whether you know uh, when they look. They businesses pass over Illinois now because they have, they have like a bankrupt pension system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think that we're going to get businesses passing over Michigan if they look like we have we're sort of morally bankrupt mm-hmm. as it comes to our politics and and who who is leading us. And um, so simply just um, uh, for business uh, entities and 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 uh, the uh, lobbying interests, uh, simply just trying to turn a blind eye to this is not going to work. We're never going to get anything kind of like uh, done long term, big, big picture uh, public policy, which we know has been, you know, a lot of things in education and healthcare have been just wildly exposed in this pandemic. So I, you know, I said, look, the, the, the business community, this is a put your money where your mouth is moment right now. Uh, and if they want to put some pressure on the Senate Republican caucus uh, to consider uh, picking a different leader, which can happen with um, with um, with um, with eleven votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could you could make it happen tomorrow. Uh, they're going to have to stop writing checks to the Senate Republican campaign fund and to Mike Shirky's uh, political pack and that supports these ca- these candidates and and their, and these other leadership packs and and campaign funds. That would be that would be a meaningful way to really send a message uh, to these um, uh, leaders or people who are supposed to be our leaders that this type of behavior is, is abhorrent and we're not going to tolerate it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Chad Livengood, senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business, uh, about a piece he wrote last week titled Business Leaders Want Political Civility? Show Mike Shirky the door. It is about the Republican state Senate majority leader, his comments that were recorded without his knowledge uh, and released uh, last week in which he talked about 
violent confrontations with uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, uh, really sexist and violent language about our governor, uh, also admitted that he believes that the January 6th attack on the Capitol in Washington was, quote, a hoax. He doesn't believe that Trump's supporters uh, executed that that insurrection. Uh, a lot of really problematic uh, things. It's not the first time uh, Mike Shirky has said bizarre or problematic things, but uh, these rise to a level uh, that we haven't really seen before from him. The question is, what should the Republican Party be doing uh, about Mike Shirky? And in addition, what should the Republican Party's allies in Michigan be doing about it, especially the business community, which, uh, first of all, is selling Michigan all over the country, uh, the idea of investing here or moving here, and Shirky's comments make that uh, a little more difficult, but also the business community has been a big proponent of the idea of civil dialogue in our politics, the idea of being able to have bitter disagreements, strong disagreements, uh, but keep it within a realm of actual debate and back and forth uh, as, a, as a way of solving problems as opposed to the kind of things that Shirky was doing, which is uh, ad hominem uh, and, and really out of bounds. Uh, what do you think? the business community and political donors should be doing to try to react to Senate Majority Leader Shirky's violent and sexist comments, uh, which include this false accusation about January 6th. Uh, What consequences do you think he should face, if any? And what do you think of the idea of the business community, which really does push this idea of civility, being on the hook for coming out and saying something and maybe doing something about Shirky and his position. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation in a little bit. We're going to have a broader conversation about this idea of civility with an assistant professor of political science at UD Mercy who has written about uh, civility and argues that it is often a call that is used to topple democratic movements uh, just as they're getting started. Uh, That's going to be a really interesting conversation about the concept of civility and its use uh, in our politics. But right now, uh, give us a call and let us know what you think should happen to Mike Shirky uh, because of what he said. Uh, we've already got uh, a number of social media comments. Uh, Brian on Twitter uh, says, uh, I feel you about the idea of getting rid of Shirky, but then you're just going to get another Arlen Mikoff type. Road money? No. School money? No. Cops? No. Uh, maintenance of the Capitol building? Absolutely not. Shirky isn't gangster enough to pull that. Uh, Josh on Twitter says, the answer is, of course, that Republicans don't actually want civility, whatever that may mean. They just use it to beat up the other side when the opportunity arises, then wrap themselves in the First Amendment when anyone accuses them of being uncivil. To be fair, Democrats do this too, mostly when centrists attack the left wing of the party. Uh, Ed on Twitter says uh, he really does seem to do whatever he can to stop progress. The horrid speech from him is so common that people have turned deaf to it. Shame. But after the last four years, people are empowered to speak hate out loud, not just in whispers. Uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, uh, just want to let you know that Senator Mike Shirky won't be going anywhere. He has the nerve to say the quiet part out loud. 
I don't agree with him, but there are many folks who share his mindset, and it's not hard to see where their ideologies are. Again, if you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to Facebook and Twitter. We'll work into the conversation. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more of this conversation, and we'll get to more of your comments. Uh, stay with us for more Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined us. My guest is Chad Livengood, senior editor at Crane's Detroit Business, who wrote a column last week titled, If Business Leaders Want Political Civility, They'll Show Mike Shirky, Our State Senate Majority Leader, the door for the comments that he made on tape that were revealed uh, last week. Uh, violent comments about Governor Gretchen Whitmer, uh, conspiracy theories about uh, January 6th. Uh, it was a, a pretty shocking uh, set of revelations about what goes on in his mind and what he's willing to say in certain company, for instance, but that he doesn't say publicly. Another really uh, troubling aspect of this, of course, that duplicity that uh, Mike Shirky is showing, uh, palling around with white supremacist groups in private, uh, but in public saying that uh, he doesn't support uh, what they what they stand for. Uh, we want to hear from you about what you think should happen to uh, Senator Shirky. Uh, should he still remain the leader of our upper chamber of the legislature? He is the top ranking elected Republican in the state right now. Uh, should that continue? Uh, should the business community, which really pushes the idea of civil dialogue in our politics, uh, be putting more pressure on the GOP to do something? About Shirky. As always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Mike in Gross Point. Mike, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. Hey. First of all, I'd like to commend you for the speech you gave the day after Monica Palmer pulled her little racist stunt a few months back. Uh. It was very heartwarming. It really touched me, and I almost had tears in my eyes. Now, moving on to Mike Shirky, another uh, racist, and um, my, 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 my thinking is this. People of goodwill need to make a list of all businesses that support Republican causes and boycott these businesses here in Michigan and nationwide. At the root of Mike Shirky's thinking is white supremacy, nothing more. And they're harming our region. When we, when we have these white supremacists running our government at a local level, at a state level, or at the national level, like we saw with the Trump administration, it brings us backwards in time, and it harms us economically, it harms us morally, and uh, they just need to go. And Mike Shirky needs to be shown the door, and the businesses that support the Republicans need to be boycotted. Mm. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate uh, the call and uh, and the thoughts, and I think a lot of people uh, are really feeling that way after after what they saw 
Mike Sharkey saying on that tape. Uh, let's go to Terry in Detroit. Uh, go ahead, Terry. <laughs> good, mor- good morning, Stephen. Okay. Hey, I-, I love your last caller. Um, a big shout out and thank you to him. I think he's right. Stephen, I just wanted to say kind of similar you know, this everyday misogyny that's tolerated. I mean, Steve Shirky, Shirky felt comfortable in front of a, a group of people saying these things uh, because folks weren't pushing back on him. I mean, people mm-hmm. in that room with him when he said the things should have pushed back on him. And I just think this is yet another moment for us to learn something here. This stuff that folks are saying is not okay. This way of thinking is not okay. It's not okay. And people in his district need to tell him, we've had enough, you need to go. Mm. Uh, Terry, appreciate the call. And and again, the thoughts, this is, uh, you know, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure what it's going to take for people to uh, to stand up and and say something about this kind of this kind of behavior, which is taking over uh, pretty pretty core parts of the Republican Party in the state. Uh, Chad Liven would react to 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 both uh, our calls here. Yeah, I mean, one of the the things that this whole incident reveals is uh, people uh, Republicans like Mike Shirky are torn. He's he was in a meeting to try to placate some very conservative Hillsdale County Republicans who one of the reasons they were censuring him was they said they wasn't doing enough to stand up to Governor Whitmer. Uh, Mike Shookie has been involved in five lawsuits in the last 11 months against Mm -hmm. Governor Whitmer over the coronavirus restrictions and and her administration's business uh, uh, shutdowns and such. Uh, and and he has you know been in you know war constant war awards about this policy debate about how we how we uh, go about managing this this virus. So um, uh, and that's not to excuse what he said, but he, this is this is a kind of the context that somehow made him feel like he needed to, t- to tell these guys, well, I've, I've thought about, you know, uh, taking her out on the Capitol lawn and punching her in the face. Uh, and, I've, you know, we've spanked her uh, a few times. And he was really trying to, uh, you know, show up to these, to, these, to these guys that he was a tough guy. Um, and it just says a lot about our politics uh, that uh, you have the, the uh, already pretty conservative leader of the, of the Michigan legislature trying to, um, you know, essentially just uh, placate to a, to a small bandwidth of, of the Republican base um, that doesn't really speak for the majority of, of people of Michigan. You know, it also speaks to Shirky's weakness, I think. Weakness as as a leader of the party. I mean, he's the top elected Republican in the state, and he's afraid of uh, this group of Republicans in, the, in this county because uh, the party has become so beholden to them and their interests and their votes that I, I'm quite sure he he believes that if they abandon him or the other Republicans, they wouldn't have a, they wouldn't have a majority. They wouldn't be able to 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 hold on to power. Uh, and and that is the to me one of the most concerning uh, dimensions of this is again how much of the Republican power, party cowers uh, now in the face of this kind of. Uh, misogynist, racist, violent uh, uh, rhetoric, uh, and, and now we've seen action uh, by extremists. I mean, uh, uh, if Mike Shirky were actually the leader, uh, 
uh, of the Republican Party or a leader of the Republican Party, he should have been the one sitting there saying, hey, look, you know, cut it out. This stuff that you're saying, the stuff that you are talking about doing is inappropriate. Uh, and the fact that he felt more compelled uh, to pal around again with them, show allyship uh, with them is a serious, serious problem within with, within that party. And that's something that uh, is not just going to disappear over uh, over the next uh, few months as we get ready for the next election cycle, which uh, starts, uh, which is going to start this fall. Uh, let's go to Vera in Dearborn. Vera, welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, I agree with Mike that we should be boycotting those businesses. Uh, I've already started, actually. Um, they are pandering to a minority of uh, racist and misogynistic people, and and their it reflects their attitudes and their values and. By rejecting them, uh, we hopefully can force them out. I've called him and left him messages, you know, saying how disappointing it is and that he does not represent me. And that's his job, is to represent me. So hopefully if enough of us speak out and they get the the pushback from people and people start boycotting those businesses that are supporting them, that it'll disincentivize this. They'll, they'll start looking at the behavior and their attitudes. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Vera, I, 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 I appreciate the call uh, and and your thoughts, and I absolutely, absolutely agree. Uh, Chad, uh, one of the problems I have thought has been true of Mike Shirky and and some of his predecessors, and this this is something that I think has gotten worse in Michigan <clears throat> over over time. I think he sees himself first as a member of his party and and second as a leader of the Senate chamber. And the the problem with that, of course, is that as the majority leader, he actually represents the entire state. He and the, the Speaker of the House have responsibilities that go far beyond uh, their party roles or – the roles that they play as the representatives of of their districts. Uh, I, I don't know that Mike Shirky spends a lot of time thinking about how he represents, for instance, uh, voters like Vera who don't live in his district or voters like me who live in, in Detroit. Uh, he is the Senate majority leader for all of us. And I don't think he I don't think he operates much on that premise. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I've also watched this sort of denigration of the leadership posts. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I wrote this column. I, I kind of mentioned at the end some some uh, veteran statesmen and women of our, that have come out of our legislature who did think about those kind of things. So Paul Hilligans, former House Speaker, Republican. Mm-hmm. Diane Byram, former House Minority Leader, uh, Democrat. Uh, Joe Schwartz, um, uh, the late Alma Stallworth, uh, who just passed away last year. Mm-hmm. Shirley Johnson, uh, longtime House Appropriations Chairwoman from uh, Royal Oak Area, uh, Republican. Uh, Mo Hood, uh, who we lost to COVID uh, last year. Curtis Hertel Sr., former Speaker of the House uh, and longtime 
uh, leader in, in Wayne County as well. Um, another person who, uh, who, who served as co-speaker with Paul Hilligans in the mid nineties, um, was always conscious of the institution and of people beyond the borders of his own district. We've lost this with term limits, uh, where you can win a, a, a state house race with 30% in a Republican primary, you know, like a five, six person primary, you get 30% and you're, or you're suddenly a state, state rep for the next six years. And then you're, and then you're fo- focused on moving into the state Senate. And, uh, and that, that has become kind of uh, a big byproduct of term limits is we are, we do still have legislators who are thinking big picture uh, beyond their very, very small tribal geographic borders. Mm. Okay, Chad Livengood, Senior Editor at Crane's Detroit Business. Always great to have you here uh, on the show. Thanks very much for coming by today. Thanks for having me, Steve. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. and we come back, we're going to have a conversation about civility more broadly and whether calls for unity at this point in our nation may do more harm than good. We're going to talk with an author who says that calls for civility are a tactic deployed to topple democratic movements as they're gaining momentum. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. As we were saying, politics in Michigan and across the United States are about as dysfunctional as we have ever seen. Throughout the chaos and vitriol, though, there are many voices, including mine, calling for more civility, calling for us to be able to sit down across broad partisan divides and even bitter partisan divides in order to have conversations about our differences in a way that leads us to compromise and solutions. We just talked with Chad Livengood of Crane's Detroit Business about how often business groups talk about the need for more civility in politics and how they ought to be stepping up now to call out state Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky for his comments. But my next guest says calls for civility are a tactic deployed to topple democratic movements as they are gaining momentum. Alex Zamelin is the director of the African-American Studies Program at the University of Detroit Mercy and an assistant professor of political science at the university. He's the author of a new book titled Against Civility, The Hidden Racism in Our Obsession with Civility. Alex Zamelin, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Uh, great, to, great to be on your show. Yeah. So what do you mean when you say that civility is a tactic deployed to topple democratic movements just as they're starting to gain momentum? Well, the research for this book really began when I started to examine the abolitionist movement in the 1830s. And the thing that was so striking and remarkable was that as abolitionists are picking up steam William Lloyd Garrison is expanding his resistance society to around 200,000 by the end of the 1830s. John C. Calhoun, who's a famous um, senator from South Carolina, gives a speech on the Senate floor in 1837, 
where he basically demonizes and assaults abolitionists for being uncivil. And what he suggests is that rather than tearing the nation apart with their calls for liberation, with their calls for justice and equality, they should be reaching across the aisle and seeking some sort of acceptance of the status quo. And the thing that really struck me as I went into this decade was how pervasive and insidious these calls for civility were, not coming from folks who were committed to racial justice, but exactly the opposite. The very citizens who wanted to dominate enslaved people were the loudest in their calls for civility. Mm. And, and of course, we see that cast forward, as you point out, uh, into the into the modern day of of American discourse, but of, but but especially when it, when I think about uh, the way that word has been used, uh, sort of weaponized against uh, political and social movements, I think of the 1960s and uh, the the calls against sit-ins, against marches, uh, peaceful sit-ins, peaceful marches that were called uncivil. Uh, by authorities and responded to uh, with violence. I mean, it it is almost as though they've taken a word uh, that actually means peace and means uh, debate and discussion and used it to characterize, um, to mischaracterize uh, peaceful peaceful movements. uh, And as you point out, to, to sort of disenfranchise those movements just as they're gaining steam. Yeah, and I think that's a terrific point. I mean, one of the things that I also think about is in his 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail, when Martin Luther King is told by members of the clergy to back down, be more patient, not agitate, he specifically remarks that the greatest threat to the black freedom movement is not the Klansmen, but the white moderate who essentially calls for patience. And King himself, who was deeply committed to nonviolence and deeply committed to a position of agitating for peace, saw civility as it was being used by segregationists, white supremacists, as an incredibly powerful tactic to silence the black freedom struggle. And so when I uncover an alternative in the book, which I call civic radicalism, I draw on King's legacy. I draw on Harriet Tubman's legacy, on Frederick Douglass's legacy. And all of these activists were trying to advocate not for civility, but for justice and for freedom. And at every point in their political careers and in their activism, they recognized that as much as they wanted, as you say, Stephen, to repurpose civility as a concept that would speak across the racial divide, as a concept that would appeal to our better. It was incredibly difficult because their words used against them Mm. to justify horrific acts of violence, repression, and silencing. So, so uh, I I want to tell you about a project that I'm involved in. It's called... The Civility Project, <laughs> and it, it involves 
uh, me and Nolan Finley, who is uh, a, a conservative commentator in town, uh, the exact opposite, really, uh, of me when you think of politics and, and, and social uh, social movements. Um, and it, it involves the two of us talking with groups of people uh, all over the country, in fact, about how to have civil disagreements. The, the, the fact that Nolan and I, despite our huge, huge differences, and despite the fact that uh, if we talk about some things, we actually uh, get really uh, get after each other and, and, you know, sometimes get to the point of, of exasperation, uh, have been able to maintain the kind of relationship that allows us to have those arguments that allows us to disagree and not walk away with uh, the the kind of antipathy that leads to uh, uh, the, the the kind of disenfranchisement that you're talking about or the destruction of the solution making process and and what we talk to people about are the kind of keys to those kind of relationships being able to listen uh, to each other not prejudging. Uh, not dismissing uh, somebody's uh, views because you 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 disagree with them. And interestingly, when we started out on this, I suggested that we not call it the Civility Project for the exact reasons that you kind of point out uh, in your argument and certainly point out in your book, that that's a word that has been co-opted, really, uh, by people who seek to silence uh, civil discourse or civil disobedience in many cases uh, by African-Americans and other disenfranchised groups. They said, uh, what if we call it the listening project, for instance, or something like that, because I wanted to avoid that word. But but your work uh, kind of affirms, uh, I think, what I was what I was saying when I when I suggested that. But I also wonder what you make of the goal of being able to have those kinds of disagreements. What we saw on January 6th strikes me as the result of uh, incivility, right? That, that if we don't figure out a way to be able to have disagreements, to be able to sort those disagreements in a reasonable way, what we see is, what we see is violence, what we see is insurrection. So, so I, I wonder what you make of, if you t- sort of uh, step away from uh, the 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 misuse of that word. Let's talk about the concept of it and whether that concept is, first of all, valuable in in our modern politics, and then whether it's achievable uh, given the deep divisions that we experience right now. That, that's a great question, Stephen. And I think one of the things that I was trying to reconcile in the book was, on the one hand, as I say. I think it's incredibly important to try to listen and to communicate and, in a sense, to have conversation around difficult concepts and concepts that are incredibly important and polarizing. At the same time, I think when you use the language of civility and have historically, whether now or in the past, the assumption is that the focus of the conversation must simply be to achieve some kind of unity, compromise, consensus. And I think civility as an object, as a goal, when it comes to racial justice, 
is not what we should be focusing on. I think the focus instead should be on justice and freedom. Mm -hmm. And if, for example, as we saw in the summer, some activists are trying to protest um, police brutality and racial violence, and they're doing it in a way that involves protest and um, getting out in the streets, I think that that is the kind of pressure that sometimes requires folks to get out to articulate their grievances. Now, at the same time, as I say in the book, by far the most effective social movements throughout history have been nonviolent, because nonviolent is, nonviolence is a consistent strategy. It allows to get many citizens organized, and nonviolence as a tactic is incredibly effective as the strategy to achieve racial justice. But I have concerns in framing our politics around the objective of civility, because time and time again, that allows some of the most difficult and reactionary racist forces to have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. I was thinking about this um, not too long ago when Cindy Hyde Smith was in her heated campaign in mm -hmm. 2008. This is um, the senator from Mississippi mm -hmm. against Mike Espy, a black Democrat. She famously said a racist comment, which was that ultimately she would be happy to attend a public hanging with a supporter of hers. And many folks who knew Mississippi's graphic history as the state that had per capita the most lynchings for a period turned to her and said, this is a racist comment. And what Cindy Hyde Smith turned around and said was, you're all being uncivil. You are not looking to hear both sides. Right. You are actually the ones who are trying to create a negative conversation. And so I think that it's really, really important to center the discussion in terms of justice and freedom and to centralize nonviolent civil disobedience as a tactic. Because once we talk about civility as an objective, it becomes very difficult for those committed to racial justice to continue to agitate and yeah. argue for a better world. Yeah. And and, and maybe then the, the, the goal. So one of the things that I struggle with is the relationship between civility and pluralism, right? Political pluralism, ideological pluralism, racial pluralism. I mean, we live in a country where, uh, you know, I, as an African-American man, am always going to be uh, at a in a demographic minority, right? Uh, and what we need, I think, one of the things that we need for racial justice to be uh, more uh, more pervasive and and more of a reality in our lives is that uh, pluralistic uh, support for it. Right? It, it can't just be that African Americans want justice. It's got to be that everybody wants it, ideally, or certainly that a majority want it. And the 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 goal of being able to talk and debate with people whom with whom you disagree in some way, in some dimension, uh, about justice, I think, is is sort of 
the nexus of that is civility, right? It is the ability to say, look, we don't agree on everything. You don't come from the same place I do. You don't necessarily even understand all of my experiences. But on these points, we can agree that racism is wrong, that discrimination is wrong. And so the the idea that I, I agree with you that civility itself is not the goal, but it is a tool that I think leads to these things that 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 we all want. Mhm. I think I think that's a legitimate and fair point. I think that the difficulty with using that tool is that it's not without historical precedent. Right. And one of the things that I try to discuss is that as much as we want to free civility from its kind of racist history, from its demonizing history, it's incredibly difficult because every time you conjure an image of civil and uncivil, that also comes with a certain kind of cultural association. Who are the uncivil ones in American society? And precisely because of our racist history, civility is culturally marked as something that historically tends to mean white. And incivility is marked as non-white. One of the things that was really interesting in my research was I studied the end of the 19th century where there's a tremendous move toward black uplift, which is famously led by the educator and founder of Tuskegee University, Booker T. Washington. And it's at this very moment when black Americans who are coming out of the experience of Reconstruction who are forming all kinds of communities, literary spheres, uh, gaining a ton of wealth, and actually trying to achieve this model of civility in the best way possible. The response is a white backlash that leads to some of the most horrific racist atrocities for the next two centuries. Various coups in Wilmington, the Tulsa massacre, You have lynching, which emerges around this time. And so despite their best intentions around this time, even when African-Americans are trying to adopt a kind of politics of civility and respectability, the society at large will not allow that to be neutral or positive. Mm. And so one of the things that I really want to emphasize is we must attend to the history of these concepts because they are never neutral. Right. You can't you can't extract them uh, in 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 sort of a pure sense from what they have been what they have been used for uh, in the past. Uh, I want to read a couple of social media comments here. Liz on Twitter says, uh, "Calling for civility seems a call to put the cart in front of the horse. Civility follows things like honesty, decency, and accountability." Claudia. On Twitter says, uh, if only they protested, quote, the right way we'd have done X, Y, Z is just an attempt to negate the injustice. It's logical fallacy, a, dist- a distraction. A listener on Twitter says uh, we need to start talking about the Michigan GOP's total lack of desire to govern. Republicans now only care about fighting their perceived culture war. They have zero interest in creating a collaborative government. This needs more awareness. Carl on Twitter says uh, nonviolence and civility are two different things. MLK's nonviolence was predicated on civil disobedience. It is the true basis 
of protest. Uh, let's go to Dennis in Dearborn. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for helping with great information to fill the holes in my head. I really appreciate it. Um, I, if I were to label myself a, a Kennedy Democrat, I, I would age myself. But one of the things I think, if, if, I, if everybody worked to fulfill the Constitution of the United States in someone else's life rather than my rights, but I want you to have constitutional rights, I think we'd be better off. Mm, yeah. Dennis, uh, I, I absolutely appreciate uh, the call uh, and the thoughts there. Um, uh, Alex Amlin, respond to what uh, Dennis is talking about there. Well, one of the things that I mention in the book, uh, Dennis referring to himself as a Kennedy Democrat, is James Baldwin attended a famous meeting Mm -hmm. with Robert Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, who was attorney general under his brother in 1963. And the meeting was attended by uh, various black intellectuals. And what they demanded was that the Kennedy administration take a serious commitment to desegregating schools and to use the force of government to show that school segregation will not be tolerated. And the uh, Bobby continued to berate and argue for James Baldwin to be more civil and to understand that he needed to be pragmatic, strategic, and that his freedom would come eventually as Baldwin memorably discussed, when 40 years down the line, there would be a black president. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the great difficulties when we look at activists struggling for justice in the face of inequality is that they're always told by political elites that they need to wait, that their time will come. And Baldwin left the meeting He left the meeting because he thought that Kennedy simply didn't understand, just like King in 1963 said, we can't wait because patience is the time of power. And so the argument that everyone can just have their rights and constitutional obligations upheld, that sounds fantastic in a kind of purely democratic ideal society. But in a system of power and inequality, those rights come through struggle, through struggle and through and protest. difficult conviction and uh, conversation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alex Amelin, it was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is going to join to talk about all things that are happening in Washington. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation.